This is Mentally Unscripted, Episode 40, Anarchy, Chaos, and Emergent Order with Jamie Kane. Hey everybody, this is Scott, and this is the next episode of Mentally Unscripted, and we've got Paul here. Paul, say hi. Hello. How are you, Scott? I'm good. And then we've got today's guest, very special guest, Jamie Kane. How's it going, Jamie? What's going on, guys? I'm good, man. How are y'all? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, did you guys hear about the new alpha variant? of uh covid is it stronger than the beta version is that well it i mean basically it makes weak men grow some testicles ha. oh there you go oh, <laughs> oh I, knew that was coming. I was waiting for the dad joke to kick <laughs> right. in around covid i love it i love it so well yeah we've got three manly men here three beards so we got, <laughs> we're, we're yeah. gonna have a good one tonight yeah let's let's get into this so Jamie, our guest, is the host and founder of Liberty Uninterrupted, which I got to be a guest on um, a few weeks ago, but the episode hasn't dropped yet, and I'm going to be questioning Jamie during this episode to try to find out when that's going to be coming, but it'll be coming out soon. And in addition to Liberty Uninterrupted, uh, he's the owner of No Kings Coalition Clothing Company. He's an outspoken activist focused on progressing a voluntary society by mass disobedience, defiance, influencing culture, counter-economics, and localism. So that is a lot of words that sound very interesting. So we are going to be getting into that, and we're going to have a fun conversation. So Jamie, we'll throw it over to you. Why don't you uh, expand on that a little bit? What is all of that? What is your defiance? <laughs> what is everything? Yeah. What is counter economics? Who how are you, you? Yeah. How did you get started <laughs> into that? Uh, what was your your aha moment there? Um, well, you know, I'll say with like the podcast. So I've been a liber, I, you know, I'm a self proclaimed libertarian. I use I I use libertarian very broadly because I feel like the general population like knows what a libertarian is or has at least heard the term right. But when I'm in my libertarian circles or on podcasts, I kind of deep dive the issues. I'm very upfront, honest that I consider myself a volunteerist, which is just another fancy way of saying anarchist, right? Like I, I believe that anarchy, um, to me is the most moral ground that we could stand on when it comes to society, which is kind of counterintuitive to a lot of people that have heard the word before. And that's honestly because there's a lot of misinformation about what anarchy means and what volunteerism means and what a volunteer society would look like, right? So I started Liberty Uninterrupted as just a, like a, you know, kind of a just run of the mill libertarian constitutionalist. And, you know, I, and as I progressed and as I continued down my libertarian journey, and I, and I will say this, I, I became like a libertarian back in like 2012 with Ron Paul, with his, with his 2012 presidential campaign. That was kind of my, my, my conversion moment, right? Like that was when I knew I was a libertarian, but in, in making this podcast and, understanding that I needed to know more. If I was going to be a spokesperson within the movement, not for the movement, but within the movement, I needed to be more educated. And the more reading I did, the deeper I went on guys like Rothbard, Lysander Spooner, um, you know, those kinds of guys, I, it became evidently clear that government in any form is immoral, it's wrong, and it's a monopoly on aggression. And uh, I just knew that then and there that like, you know, anarchism, volunteerism, whatever you want to call it, man, like that's what I subscribe to. Just as that kind of light bulb turned on for libertarianism, Ron Paul, uh, that's kind of how I got here. And a lot of those things that were in my bio are all different facets of what anarchy or volunteerism consists of. Did you have a strong political identity before you had this conversion moment in 2012? Yeah, I, you know, man, I was always really like, I mean, uh, let me be fully transparent. In 2012, I was 18 years old. So I'm, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying, so I'm 28 now. 
Um, and I like loved, like I did, I, no, I shouldn't say politics, but like freedom and stuff. Like I came from a military background family. Like my dad was a Marine, grandpa was a Marine. I had other, you know, members that were in the Navy, Air Force. And so like liberty and freedom was kind of like potent in our family and our background. And I just, get, I came up with a love of like American history, the revolution, you know, uh, you know, constitution, like founding fathers. Like I always had a deep respect and love for kind of our American history. Right. And so in 20, when 2012 kind of rolled around, I kind of considered myself, um, I was part of like the young Republicans, right? Like I, you know, I was, you know, constitutionalist, but I never really felt like I was a Republican. I just didn't know what other avenues there were. As a matter of fact, I always hated parties, but I thought they ha- that, that there had to be parties. I read a quote once by Washington that said that political parties would be the downfall of the country, that division would only ensue naturally with political parties. And I always felt that, but I didn't know if there was, I never understood if there was a different way, right? I was just like, okay, well, we are, we are where we are. And so I'm just gonna be a Republican. And Ron Paul came around and while he was quote unquote running on the Republican ticket, the man wasn't, you know, and it was, but I said, what is this guy? And the more and more research I did, it, you know, it was obvious. I was like, well, I know I'm not a Republican. Isn't that terrible that we get indoctrinated into this system where we think there's only two choices? I remember when I first heard about the Green Party, I was, it was almost mind blowing to me that there was a third party out there. And then it was a long was the, time. Was that your first third party you heard of was the Green Party? It was. So that's crazy. Dude. I knew what Why, liber- that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I knew of libertarianism, but I didn't know there was a libertarian party. Okay. I was one of those young kids. I didn't pay much attention to co- or, uh, politics. I, I just didn't really care. Yeah. Uh, you had friends. It, right. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it was labor. It was later that I found out about libertarianism. And then I realized, or then I found out there's actually quite a few parties, none as big as the Libertarian Party, at least as far as the third parties go. But yeah. And isn't it funny how a lot of libertarians, they get into it wanting to be what we refer to as minarchists or the small government people. And then in that first year, 18 months, there's that transformation over to the more anarchist side of the uh, of the uh, philosophy. Um, so I think you followed the same track that I think a lot of other people have followed. They say the only difference between a minarchist and an anarchist is six months. So, yeah. In your mind, is there any difference between a voluntarist and an anarchist? No. It's for me, they're, they're synonymous. Yeah. I use volunteers just like I don't use capitalism often. I use free markets because of the, those terms have been co-opted and they, and they turn people off, right? Like when you're trying to introduce new ideas to people, when you're trying to quote unquote convert them, um, you don't want to like right off the bat, you say capitalism, anarchism, they're turned off because they already have this preconceived notion of what those words mean. And already they've made up their mind. That they're not going to listen. And so for me, when I say yeah, I'm a volunteerist or I believe in the free market, those are the same things as capitalism and anarchism, but those terms are new to people, at least newer. Right. So, so what is anarchism or anarchy in the the popular sense, like you're saying, the sense that turns people off, and then explain to us what is anarchism in reality? Is is anarchy chaos or is it something different? Yeah. So anarchy in popular culture is Mad Max Fury Road, right? Like that's the always the analogy I use is that like stuff's just gonna pop off at any given moment. Everyone's killing each other. It's like I mean, it's madness. It's chaos, and that's what the media and mainstream media and the political system and and their their operators have turned the word in anarchy into is like this just pure chaos, right? Where if you look at the, if you look at the term 
Anarchia, which is Greek or Latin. I can't remember if it's Greek or Latin. You know, don't don't call me on that, but I know it's Anarchia is the root word, right? Which directly translates to without ruler, right? Not without order. You know, there's anarchy to me, you know, anarchy exists in nature, right? If to me, anarchy is following the natural order of things. I believe in order. I don't believe in chaos. Nothing good thrives in chaos. I believe that chaos exists and that chaos and order are like good and bad or yin and yang. They have... You can't have one without the other, but that doesn't mean that we just accept chaos. We try to put order in line. We try to put order in place to combat to combat chaos, right? And that's kind of my belief there. So anarchy is just without rulers. To me, no one has the authority or the permission, unless consented to, to rule other people. Like no one can ever convince me that somehow, some way, because of some quote unquote social contract, that you or anybody else has any ownership over me or any other person. It just doesn't exist. It's not logical, right? And so for me, anarchy simply means without rulers, not without order. So not even, excuse me, not even to me, sorry. Like that is the definition is without ruler. So let me clarify that. Rather than anarchy being chaos, anarchy is the other side of the coin to chaos, I guess, or that it's diametrically opposed to chaos. Anarchy is order, and chaos is without order, but with anarchy, you don't have rulers, You, but you still have hierarchies. And those hierarchies can be fluid, right. and they can move yep. around. And there is, um, there's a structure to society or to your community. It's not just everyone running around in an absolute free for all. So does that? That's one thing that anarchists, I think, as a whole, get wrong. And, I, and I'll be, I mean, I'm, I'm relatively new to the anarchist train of thought, right? Like, I mean, over just within the last year is really when I adopted the ideology. But I think it's something that we get wrong. We think that in anarchy, there wouldn't be intentional communities. There wouldn't be hierarchies. That's not realistic, right? Like a lot of people say anarchists or even, you know, I mean, I, we use the same argument against socialists or communists that it's utopian, right? Um, and I would agree that all those ideas are utopian, but anarchy where it doesn't become utopian is accepting the fact that hierarchies are in nature and that people would still come into community. Those communities, instead of being forced, would be voluntary, right? And and those communities would be um would continue to be voluntary and anything that wasn't voluntary would be shunned by those kids, right? Like people are still communal animals. Like we're, com- we're communal beings. We, we, we don't want to be left alone, right? Like at least the majority of us, some of us just want to live out in the middle of the woods, you know, like take Kaczynski, right? But like most of us don't want that. We want to be a part of a community. We just want to be a part of a community that respects my natural rights and inherent being, and I want to respect yours in return. And if you didn't consent to the hierarchy, you would be free to leave and go yes. off and form your own own community. Right. Or find another one that fits your, you know, yeah, fits your like idea of what a community should look like. For me, I always say like I would want to live in a community that is based off the free market economic system. I think all communities would be based off an economic system. Um, I think you would have communes, socialists, you know, utopias, right? You would have uh and then you would have free markets, bartering systems. I would find those. And then this, the, the rest of the parameters would, for me, would likely be in morality. Like I'm a Christian and I don't believe I have to be surrounded by Christians, but I would want to be surrounded by people that want to live by the golden rule, that want to treat me as I want to treat them, right? I think we would kind of have this checklist and wanting to find and operate or even create communities. And if those things didn't jive, then we would just go and off and find another one. We would move like we do now, you know? Right. I think of it as almost free market competition between communities, similar to the way we have free market competition. And I 
probably going to get torched for saying free market competition amongst the social media sites, but I'm, I'm using free market pretty loosely here. So if, if you don't like the community that's on Facebook, you can go to Twitter, you can go to Float or Gab. So I think of it as sort of that free market competition between communities. If you don't like the community you're in because it's too, it, it's too socialist for you, you have the ability to go to another community. And, those com- and the communities would compete with each other based off of their economic system that they choose to adopt in their moral structures. We see it now. I mean, look at people like I'm, I was born and raised in Virginia, right? Virginia has been overtaken by people leaving from New York, New Jersey, Maryland, and coming to Virginia, right? We do it now. You see the same thing with people leaving California in droves and going to places like Texas and Arizona, right? Exactly. Like you see it all. You see it right now. People are choosing to leave their communities because they no longer want to be associated with the communities that they're in and trying to find a new one. Right. And it may not always be, I'm not saying it's always going to be a hundred percent what you want because that's not realistic either. But we move now to find places that are more in line with our values and the systems that we want to live in. You know, so it's, it's, that's what I think another thing is people don't understand like the things that we're talking about now, like the things we're talking about in an anarchist society happen today. The only difference is that there is a entity that is trying to coerce and, and has a monopoly and aggression known as the state. So, so, and, and I don't consider myself an anarcho libertarian, A, because I I don't understand the philosophy. I haven't done the reading, right? So I haven't done the work to really understand it. And so I'm I'm using this session sort of as a way, and and Scott and I have talked a little bit about it offline, but uh, I I really want to try and understand the philosophy a little bit more. If I I take the explanation that you shared, it's that it's, um, it's order without rulers and that the primary objective, but not the only objective, would be uh, maximum liberty for the individual to volunteer for their own decisions? Is that it? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So I, I guess a question I have, there's, there's a couple of ones that come to mind. Uh, the first is, are we seeing this? Have we, Where have we seen this happen in history? Is, I, oh, I, I know answer that now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think, I think get, it's sorry. Right. That's going to fall. Well, yeah, yeah, I have a few more questions, uh, but I, yeah, I need to pile on. <laughs> no, you're good. So as far as history, I don't like there's, there's ample examples in history. What I will say is let's start here. We experience anarchy every single day in our lives because all anarchy is is voluntary interaction. Think about how many times in a day, in a single day, you have voluntary interaction. That to me is anarchy. It is a form of anarchy because no one is forcing that interaction. You cannot have free markets or anarchy or any of those things without voluntary interaction. So let me say that. I I don't think people understand that it's happening every single day in our own lives, right? We Voluntary interaction is absolutely essential as opposed to when it comes to the state or taxation or whatever it may be, right? As far as history, one of my favorite examples was in um, actually Pennsylvania. I, I'll, hear, I'll use a, uh, one that's here locally, right, in the United States. Pennsylvania, um, when William Penn was given the land of, you know, obviously Pennsylvania, he was considered the governor, the owner of Pennsylvania, right? I, and, I, and I don't remember all the details, but there was a community within Pennsylvania that basically said, you know what, we don't, William Penn doesn't live here. He doesn't know what it's like to be in our community. It doesn't make sense. And they just did mass defiance, mass disobedience, like like I've talked about or like was included in my bio, right? And they just said, we're going to live our lives to fit. We're not going to pay the taxation. We're not going to live by the rules that you set when you're not even a part of this community. And it's actually a really interesting story. You can look, just type in anarchism in Pennsylvania and you'll find it on Google. But William Penn tried over and over and over again just to like get control of this community. But because they were so defiant and just disobedient, there's nothing they could do. And he even acknowledged they're peaceful. They're not hurting anybody. The only thing they're doing is 
is defying orders that I've given. And he's like, I really can't do anything about that. Like he wasn't going to go and send in armies and, and mercenaries. Right. And so that's my favorite example within the United States. As far as like historically outside of that, I mean, I think a lot of times you look at, I mean, just throughout history, you look at, I know like tribalism was brutal. Like there's no doubt about it, but there were also many areas, many examples within Native American history, not a lot of them, but some of them where there were forms of uh, tribes and communities that were not at war with each other. As a matter of fact, in Pennsylvania, the people in Pennsylvania um, in that time frame with William Penn and in the, in the civil disobedience were friends with the American Indians that were actually around them. And they actually were so comfortable with those Indians that they let them watch their children, like these, these Native Americans, right? And so mm-hmm. I think there are ample examples. I don't know all of them, um, right, yeah. but that's one of my favorite ones for sure. So. Okay. No, I, that, that's great. It's, it's good to hear some examples. So when, when we look at those examples, I'm, I'm always asking this question in my head because I have a lot of criticism of our current environment. And then I ask welcome myself, club, I'm sorry. And welcome to the club, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> I ask myself, how do we get here? Right. And, and then I, then I lead to my, it leads to my next question, which was if there's a, there's an alternative system that has advantages that would, that would make you better off and in some way. So economic, you know, if I think about it as a business, right, you can you can make more money, you can have additional revenue, you can lower your costs, you have better margins, right? You can expand mm-hmm. it to new markets. It's it's the same type of question I'm thinking about from a governance perspective, right? If there's a way in which you can have a better society, which is subjective, right? Because if we're talking about a society that's built primarily around liberty, mm-hmm. there's there's gonna be trade-offs. Right. Perhaps there's, and, and maybe what we're saying is there's going to be people that are uncomfortable with the notion of volunteerism, right? That they prefer a, a benevolent dictator as they see Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right. And therefore there's, there's a fear of it. But are there, are there other advantages that would allow um, this sort of uh, volunteerism, anarchist, capitalist system? And if, if there are, I guess the question is why haven't they been more adapt, uh, adopted in mass? Or do you have a thought about why they haven't been? Yeah, I do. But let me say this. So I know because I know capitalism gets used like anarcho-capitalist and stuff. I don't consider myself an anarcho-capitalist because I don't believe on forcing a system on anybody, an economic system. Like you see anarcho-communist. Like I'm an anarchist, which means you can, or volunteers, whatever, you can choose your economic system. I choose capitalism. I choose free markets. You can choose whatever you want. So just, I mean, I don't like, I know, I don't care if you call me that, but I think it's yeah, but the distinction is is useful. I, I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I know that a lot of times anarcho capitalists get like they get just get dunked on, right? It's like they don't no one really pays attention to them because they don't feel like they're real anarchist or whatever. I'm sure, right. I believe in capitalism, but that's not what I call myself because I don't believe in forcing an economic system on somebody, right? So well, the, yeah, um, that would conflict with the idea of volunteerism, right? Exactly. It's the same thing with anarcho communists. Like I don't. I'm like, if you're going to call anarcho-capitalist not a real anarchist, then the same thing would go with communism, you know, even more so in my opinion, because you can't have capitalism without voluntary interaction. So, um, but anyways, so to go back to your, what was your original question? Um, well, the, the question was if there's, if there's significant benefits. So I, what it sounds like with a, with a, a, an agreed upon volunteerism that's scaled up, right? So as you're saying, we, we have interactions every day that are volunteer that we, we know exist, right? So, it, mm-hmm. so it's already, it, um, this, this type of system is already part of our natural order, right? That's part of how we yes. communicate and operate. And what I think, if I understand the, the position you have is you would like to see that scaled up significantly to the yes. degree that we're seeing that at the nation state level and maybe, you know, beyond that. Right. So, so, um, uh, uh, 
be, you know, multi-state or, or even globally. Um, and the question I have is, if states see a big benefit from being pure volunteerism, why have um, why have none of them actually tried it? It's because they don't, they're not interested. They don't see the advantage in, in volunteerism. When we talk about states, we're talking about people um, that collect massive paychecks from being in government. They have massive amounts of power that don't want to be relinquished. Why would anybody ever want to try a voluntary society when you can go into office making 120 a year and then come out worth 40 million or whatever Nancy Pelosi's worth, right? Like it doesn't make any sense. Why would anybody want to try that to give up their power and their wealth? Number one. Number two, I don't think there's any, I don't, when it comes down to the, the personal level, like outside of the government mm-hmm. um, and, you know, outside of control, uh, I don't, we don't, we don't have a frame of reference today. Like no one in this country at this time has ever lived in a, not, let alone an anarchist state, but not even a minarchist state, not even a minimal government state. So we have nothing to reference, right? And so my thing is when people have asked me before about libertarianism, and I think it extends to volunteerism, is that why don't more people want it? I think it's two reasons. I think it's one is fear because they don't have a, they, they've been taught that, that it would be absolute chaos. There would be, you know, blood in the streets, uh, that we would be warring factions with each other and then it couldn't be possible. In my opinion, I don't think much, like if we could progress there, not, not flip a switch tomorrow and there'd be no state and being, because I think most people aren't prepared for that. But if we can progress to the point of a voluntary society, I don't think much would change. I really don't because what, what keeps people from killing and hurting each other is not the law. We have laws in place now. And people still hurt each other. People still rape people. People still steal from each other. It happens every single day. The law and the threat of the law and the punishment doesn't stop anybody from doing bad things. What stops the majority of people from doing bad things is an inherent sense in morality. Every human being has a sense of morality. That was actually one of C.S. Lewis's arguments and his belief in God was that everybody has this innate sense of morality. So there has to be an innate um, creator of morality, right? So that was one of his arguments. And that's what I believe is, is it doesn't make the laws are in place now and we, and crimes happen every single day. It's not laws, it's morality. that stops people from doing bad things. Right. And so for me, going back to that original question is it's fear. They haven't thought about that. They haven't really thought about what a voluntary society would look like. And two, it's ignorance. They haven't taken, and I don't mean that in an offensive way, but they haven't taken the time to read. They haven't taken the time to study or to critically think. It wasn't easy for me to come to the conclusion that the Constitution had no authority. It's a document like the Declaration of, of Independence and especially the Bill of Rights that I have a tremendous amount of respect. A lot of anarchists bash the founding fathers, bash our founding and the Constitution and founding documents. I don't do that because it was the first time in history that when that when men were creating a government, they tried to implement limitations in the government, right? But it wasn't easy for me to come to terms and realize the Constitution has literally no authority over it. it. has no, unless I consent to it, like in the Declaration of Independence where it talks about to the consent of the governed, right? So it's ignorance and it's fear that like we have no frame of reference. And so people don't know what that would look like. You know what I'm saying? People are scared of change. They're scared of the unknown. They know today that I wake up, I got to pay taxes. I go to work, I do this, I do that. I prote- I, I'm protected by the police, by the fire departments. You know, Mr. Mayor, Governor, Senator takes care of all the stuff that I don't want to think about. And uh, I, I just live my life and I die. If those things don't exist, then what does it look like? It's a higher it's a higher level of responsibility that honestly we're just not ready for. Because in, or, in order for that society to exist, you have to be personally responsible. And we know uh, because of the occurrence of the Bernie Bros that we live in a society that does not want responsibility. <laughs> the Bernie Bros are killing it. 
Oh man, that's <laughs> hopefully all that makes sense, man. I know that was kind of a no, no, rant, I, you know, no, I, I think it's, I think it's good. By way of example of what you were saying, frame of reference and ignorance, we have failed communist states in recent memory. I mean, we've got one. I don't know if we can call it fail, but we've got a not very strong communist state right off the coast. We're of talking Florida. about San Francisco. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> yeah, that one's turning into one. Um, the communist Republic of California, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, so we've got these examples in recent history, and yet we're seeing a huge groundswell in support of socialism here in our own country. So um, it's almost if people if, if people aren't living right in the middle of it, they're so far disconnected from it that they just they don't want to believe what something could be. Um, in the case of communism, they don't want to believe that it's a flawed system or socialism. It's, they don't want to believe that it's a flawed oh, system. What is communism promising though? It, prom- it promises security, right? Like that's what it, tr- that's, it promises. You'll be taken care of your paychecks, your food, everything. N- nobody will go without. And that's what it promises. Freedom does not promise and at least at the forefront security. Because in order to be secure in a completely free society, you have to be able to defend yourself or at least get together with other people that are in a community that are all willing to defend each other, right? And communism is the false sense of security where we know that you have no freedom, you have no security, and you have no ability to be secure because you have you don't own anything. How can you be secure if you're owner of nothing, including yourself? It's impossible. Yeah. It, a lot of people like to point to that sliding scale between freedom and security. The more freedom you have, the less security. And then as you slide over towards more security, you have less freedom. But I think they miss the point that in an anarchist society, you can have security and freedom. You just have to put in the effort into building in your security in order to maintain your freedom. It's a false dichotomy is all it is. It's- I'm going to jump in here and put on my marketing hat and say... I, I think the anarchy terminology is terrible for this movement. When you say volunteerism, like, well, okay, let me, let me back up from it. The reason I think it's so bad is that I think as someone who's highly analytical is very data driven, I've only recently been trying to really get in touch with the other side that, you know, emotions, <laughs> I joke about it at a high level, but, but truly I've downplayed for years the importance of word associations. And so many people are driven by what they hear. And, you know, if I think about, and I was, I mean, I'm talking about this with other people, you, you can take a word that someone thinks is very dark and, and dreary. They never want to, they never want to talk about it, or hear it. And you add one adjective, one modifier to it, and all of a sudden it turns sunny and bright. And you see this difference in the way they're thinking. I think anarchism versus volunteerism is huge. It's Absolutely. a huge difference in the way people interpret it. So, I mean, you know, as someone who's who's outside the movement, who's learning about it, that to me is a big a big distinction. I think that would go really far in helping you know people that are against it. Now I can't can't help the Bernie Bros. I don't know I don't know them well enough to maybe they're going to say no volunteerism is stupid. But uh, I think a lot of people that are less informed would be more receptive to hearing about it. Well, that's what I when people talk to me like, what do you they say? What do you believe in? Like, if you don't believe, because I tell you, I don't believe in government. Well, what do you believe in? I believe in a voluntary society. Like who is going to disagree with that? I mm-hmm. believe that all human interaction should be voluntary. It is that simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't believe in aggression. I don't believe in coercion. I don't believe in force. I, and I don't pretend to, I don't pretend to have all the answers when it comes to volunteerism or anarchism. All I know is that force and coercion is immoral. That's all I know. It's wrong. And any argument that you say, Saying it's utopian, not saying you, but any you know the general population. Mm-hmm. You, right. uh, it's it's utopian. It it wouldn't work. And it, maybe in a perfect world, this that and the other. Those aren't. Those are arguments against the 
system, they're not arguments against the immorality of what we're fighting against, right? You cannot convince me that force and coercion isn't immoral. And that's my biggest reason for subscribing to the ideology I subscribe to is that I, I don't believe in living in an immoral way. I don't believe in, I don't, if I, I, if I did the things that government did, I would be in jail for the rest of my life. It, why is it any different when we stop the name government on it? it? For me, it is not any different, you know? And that's, I think, the foundation of the morality for a lot of the anarchists or voluntarists is that just because it's the government that's doing it doesn't make force and coercion moral. It's it's immoral for you to take from your neighbor, and it's just as immoral for you to demand that your government take from your neighbor and give to you. The state has the monopoly on violence. I think you mentioned that earlier, and mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't matter. Okay, the, the violence is immoral. And that's what the voluntarists uh, stand against. Well, I was talking to somebody the other day about uh, well, this is a couple of weeks ago uh, about because um, I'm not I mean, the conversation I have with you, I'll have with anybody on a podcast in person at dinner table. I don't care. I don't care how controversial or how sensitive the subject is. The stuff needs to be talked about. Right. So I was talking we were talking about Afghanistan. And this person is somebody that I you know love dearly and is, a, and is really important in my life. And, and they're more on the hardcore conservative side. Right. And we were talking about Afghanistan and, and how it was just a complete debacle and all that stuff. And, and then we got in and we got into foreign policy. And I'm a non-interventionist, obviously, um, in the traditional libertarian manner. And and we were talking about how you guys remember that 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 last drone strike that Biden sent in killed 10 people and like six of them were children. Right. And I like uh, the national news forgot about it. Yeah, completely, dude. So, and I, and we were talking about that, and I said, I, I was like, that's, and I was talking about the immorality of government. I said, that's a perfect example. And this person said, you know, he's like, yeah, I completely agree, but sometimes mistakes are made in 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 national security. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa! If I killed ten people and said mistakes are made. I would be in jail for the re- for for five consecutive life sentences. I do not understand why, because it's somebody in some Air Force base or wherever it may be that hit the bomb button, where they thought they had some intel that these people were terrorists or whatever it may be, and we killed six children and their parents, most of them mothers, and that we get to chalk it up to it was somebody's mistake. I'm sorry, that doesn't fly with me. It doesn't fly. If if it's wrong for the individual, it's wrong for an entity. You know what I'm saying? And especially an entity that does it over and over and over and over again, and then tells you, tisk tisk for not paying your fair share of taxes. Meanwhile, they go and bomb brown kids in the Middle East. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that may sound really emotional, but that's the fact. That's what happens every single day or has happened for the last 20 years. Maybe that's one of the big distinguishing features of a voluntarist society versus a status society is that in a status society, when you have that monopoly on violence, you don't have to hold yourself accountable for your mistakes. Whereas in a voluntarist society, sure, there's hierarchy there, but the hierarchies will be leveled out enough so that when someone makes a mistake, the community can still hold them responsible for their mistakes. Well, there's the non-aggression principle. Are you guys familiar with that, the NAP? Oh, yeah. Paul, are you familiar with that? Yeah, but I'm not going to be able to articulate it, so why right. don't you do that for us? No, you're good. I mean, I, this, the layman's terms is don't hurt people and don't take their stuff, right? That was kind of coined by Matt Kibbe, right? So it, it, the, aggre- the only form of aggression that is moral is when aggression is brought upon you. So if you have to protect yourself, your family, your property, that's when, it, that's when the use of aggression is is completely moral, right? Outside of that, it is immoral, 
right? So any voluntary society needs to be built upon the non-aggression principle. That needs to be agreed upon. If someone in a community or in a voluntary society violates non-aggression principle, meaning um, hurt somebody, destroyed someone's property or family or whatever it may be, that person is held liable in a voluntary society. And I think in a voluntary society and in intentional communities, those communities when coming together in voluntary interaction, right? have a responsibility to not only protect themselves and their loved ones, but to protect their community. And if something happens for me, if someone kills somebody unrighteously, meaning like in a cold act of blood, not in self-defense, then it would be that community's job to take care of that person because that's not permitted in the community, right? It's not permitted in the voluntary society because they have, they have violated the non-aggression principle. The one rule that, that we would have in that, in that hierarchical system. So do, do you see, in this way, I mean, let's let's take a really grotesque version of this uh, female mutilation or genital mutilation. I think it's FGM in Islam. Uh, pra- uh, that, yeah, it's a practice that's common in Africa, uh, mm-hmm. not all parts of Africa, but I, I think in in, uh, mi- in several parts of Africa. I think Nigeria yep. is one of them. So, um, without getting into the details of it, would you see in let's say we were able in some period of time to move towards a a um an area of volunteerism and there's a community that's in um let's say Maine and they say okay for our community we agree that this is an acceptable practice and one that's promoted to all females how do we look at that do we um do we accept their cultural distinctions as they have come to this uh, this agreement as a group do we say that this is that goes against the individual and therefore uh, we have an issue that we want to solve how how do we think about that as in a volunteerism you no know, and, and I gotta say I don't speak for the entire movement right I speak for myself and the way I interpret things right so yeah no me, and, and that's that's all we're talking about here right yeah, yeah. yeah so for me violence isn't cultural you know what I'm saying? Any form of violence. Is, you, you, I mean, I think a lot of times, um, whether, you know, whatever it may be in cultures or religions, you know, across the world, any, any time have used um, the guise of religion or violence. And I say this as a religious person, right? Is, have used religion or culture um, as a, a cloak over violence, right? And so for me in, in that, you know, fictitious community in Maine, uh, I would have to say no, because that is still a form of aggression. Like and that woman mm-hmm. who's being mutilated is not consenting to that. Now, if she says, yeah, sure, go ahead, go for it. That's her call. Like, I don't know any woman that would, you know, being married to a woman, I know she wouldn't, you know what I'm saying? And I, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I, like, yeah. I don't know any woman in the wood, but it's like, yeah, sure. Like, go ahead, whatever. Like that's hey, if you want to hurt yourself, you have a right to hurt yourself. Am I, as long as you don't hurt other people. Right. Um, but as far as that community goes, no, because that's still violating that consent. Like she's not consenting to that. Number one. And number two, it is violence, no matter what you call it, culture or otherwise, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the example could be, uh, changed out. Right. I mean, right. I, I absolutely. Think, yeah. What we've seen today, which, um, isn't considered a religious movement, but with, um, work that's done with, with people that are going through trans feelings at a young age where we're seeing laws put forth where schools can be talking to kids as young as six years old that can put on hormone therapy and perhaps other types of activity uh, without getting diving into that issue. It doesn't have to be from a religious standpoint, but there's, there is altercations or altering of the body and there is some level of violence that's justified within a culture. And I guess what I'm hearing from you is saying that one agreed upon stance has to be the non-aggression principle, 
But then who, 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 what is the order that actually enforces that? It would just have to be the individuals within that community. Like everyone agrees on aggression, but like we all inherently agree to be moral beings. Like why I don't go out and steal or hurt people or like, or like destroy the people's properties. Cause I don't want to, like I, I've agreed to be a moral being in my own personal life, you know? And the hope is that others around me have agreed to do the same, mm-hmm. at least in a voluntary society. We would know that. Right now, we're just kind yeah. of forced to live the way we're living, right? Well, in a voluntary right. society, you commune together. You get together in what's called intentional communities. And you know, okay, if you're a part of this community, then you are, we've all agreed to be at least at the very base level where we build the foundation is the non-aggression principle, right? Like yeah. that's, that we know that my neighbors agreed to that, so on and so forth. Then someone violates that, then it's up to the members of the community. I, I tell this story all the time, actually. So I'm, I, I don't disclose where I live, but in my community, um, of, uh, it was last New Year's Eve. It was about four o'clock in the morning. And I heard bloody Mary screaming and fighting outside my door in the store, in the street. I walked out. I, yeah, I believe I am a strong proponent of firearms, um, unrestricted use of firearms. Um, and I walked out, I had my firearm you know, con- concealed and I walked out in the street and I saw a fight ensuing between a female and a male and a bunch of other people. They were all drunk and wasted and stuff like that. I quickly said some not very kind words and told everybody to stop, right? Um, I said, I don't know. I told the girl she was crying and stuff. I said, come here, get over here. So she went over there and she stayed by me. I said, I don't know what's going on, but you all need to leave right now. It is that simple. I'm armed. I'm proficient my firearm. And this is happening in my community. And I'm not cool with it. My wife was sitting outside the window at four o'clock in the morning, right? And uh, I was one of three people that walked outside of their house in our neighborhood. One of three individuals that heard that ruckus, that heard someone screaming, help me, that walked outside of her house, right? Um, in a voluntary community, that's just not acceptable. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, you have to enforce it. I don't call the cops. You know what I'm saying? I take care of matters myself. If I have a problem with my neighbor, I go knock on the door and talk to them. In today's world, we don't do that. We call cop. We call the cops on our neighbors for having Thanksgiving, right? Because they have too many people in their house, right? Or when mm-hmm. someone like another neighbor of mine was blaring music at 12 o'clock at night, I walked over there, knocked on the door, said, hey, man. I would really appreciate it as your neighbor if you turned it down because I'm trying to sleep and I got work in the morning and they turned it down. Most people don't want confrontation, but most people don't expect confrontation to occur, right? In a voluntary community, confrontation has to exist, right? Because you are directly responsible for enforcing the non-aggression principle, for enforcing a level of responsibility, one individual to another, right? So that's kind of a real world example that I give. And you could still have a system in place too, where there can be another structure that you can take your disputes to and let, and you would agree that wherever you take your dispute, whoever you take it to, uh, that you're going to abide by their decision. So it could be a court that has a panel of three mediators or um, arbitrators on it, um, or it could be a, you know, a, a village elder or something like that. Um, so there would still be mechanisms in place so that two parties who aren't seeing eye to eye on something can get their disputes resolved. Yeah, I think theoretically like any like any system can exist in any community if if it's agreed upon, right? Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I mean, yeah, theoretically absolutely that would be a great system to have, you know. I wanted to bring up this idea of emergent order versus imposed order. When you were talking, I was getting the sense that you're Jamie, you're in favor of emergent order over imposed order. But then you started talking about these these communities that you voluntarily join. So d- describe to me how would emergent order versus imposed order, where would the breakdown be between those two? Um, where would one end and the other begin? 
in your idea of a anarchist society? And which do you think is superior? Uh, full transparency, I've never thought of this question. So if I sound like a blab, like a bubbling idiot, like rumbling, stumbling, dude, like that's, that's, you know, I never thought of this one, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot here. So for me, communities would um, form. Hey, hey, actually, sorry. Yeah. Can we actually define what you, what for the audience, what we mean by emergent sure. versus imposed order? Yeah. Yeah. So emergent order is when a group gets together and a hierarchy just naturally forms. So think about like kids playing on a playground. No one comes out there and says, okay, you're in charge, you're second in command or whatever. Um, it's just over time, a, a certain kids, maybe the folks who are maybe have higher leadership skills or something will rise to the top and then other kids will slot in sort of beneath them. Whereas an imposed order is one that we have now where we have a government that says, okay, you know, so-and-so is in charge. You're going to follow these rules. You're going to do this. And you, you sort of get um, slotted by an outside authority into your place in society. When I think of an anarchist or voluntarist society, I think it's more of an emergent order where the people, they get together, they sort of decide how they're going. Well, and see, this is where the distinction comes in because I, I use the word decide. And when I say decide, I think that's more of an imposed order. But over time, they'll get together, they'll work together, and their community will form and the rules will naturally come into place. But then it sounds like, Jamie, a couple of times you referred to your idea of a community as one where people may decide beforehand what they want the community to look like and maybe set up a system of rules or hierarchies early on in the in the life of the community. Am I yeah. Am I misinterpreting well, that? So I think here's I think communities would naturally pop up in in what, what's the not not um, what are the, what's the two terms again? Sorry, uh, emergent uh, order. order, emergent order. Yeah, I think communities would naturally pop up because of emergent order, right? They get, for me, like I spent time in the military, right? Um, huge mistake, but I spent time in the military and, uh, and, uh, I, uh, I, you know, they give you leaders, right. That have been there for 10 plus years and they're your leaders because they've been there longer. And you know, that's it's seniority and that's how the military works. 98% of those guys were horrible leaders, horrible. Right. But then we had emergent leaders that were the same rank as me, or even at me at many times was an emergent leader. And those guys were always really well respected because they had this natural ability to kind of not only say take charge, but to lead, right? Like with an anarchy doesn't mean without, without leaders, there's going to be leaders. They're just going to be emergent leaders, not imposed leaders, in my opinion, right? And this is all theoretical, right? But I, and I don't know about you guys, but I, the leaders that are always respected the most are the most reluctant leaders. The ones that people just naturally follow because they have this humility about them and this, just there's this there's this X factor about them that they just get things done and they genuinely care about what they're doing and they weren't just put there by bureaucracy and they collect a paycheck, right? And so for me, I think communities would naturally occur because of emergent um because of the emergence, right? Like the I would just think they would just it would just occur because of that, right? But then I think there would other be I think it just depends. I think there would other there would be other communities that would say, okay, we're going to get together. And, and the important distinction is here is that it, it's a it's a collection of individuals. Everything starts at the individual level with anarchism. Like the individual is the greatest minority on earth, like Anne Rand said, right? Like you cannot have this without the respect of the individual. But into, some individuals may get together and say, we want to build a community, but this is what we want it to look like. 
this is we want it to be a free market society. We, want, we it doesn't have to be a Christian community, but we want it based on Christian morals, right? You don't have to be a Christian, but we want that morality to be there. We want this, that, and the other, whatever it may be, right? And they form this community, and then they allow people to enter the community as they see fit. And those who don't fit into that community or don't abide by the set of standards that that community set by voluntarily aren't permitted to enter that community. You know what I'm saying? In, in a perfect, perfect world, there would just be individuals, but that's not, and I, and I, and I submit that it is not realistic. Communities would still need to occur in anarchism, right? And so I think it just depends on the situation. Uh, I think most communities would be because of emergence more than anything. So is emergence kind of this concept of, you know, I, I saw just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Northern New Mexico and I saw the elk going through the pasture and they, they make this great bugle call to bring out the other males and then they battle them out for the herd. Is that what we're talking about, emergent order, where you've got different bulls in the pack and they're fighting for superiority and dominance? Yes, I would say so. It's I would it's, say in a yeah, natural yeah. occurrence, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's the order that occurs naturally based off of just the characteristics and attributes of the people who are participating. It's not an order that some small group got together and wrote out on a document and said, now everybody's going to follow these rules. I think too, it's different with humans too, though. I don't like, I think in nature, like animals are very comfortable with violence. Humans, like the grand majority of humans aren't comfortable with violence. Like I'm really into like human psychology. I'm in sales. Um, that's been like my professional career. And so like, I, I, I like to understand what makes people tick. Right. And so in, in studying like human psychology and in criminal psychology, most people, when they commit a violent act will actually get physically sick. Like a lot of times in a violent crime scene, you'll actually see like, you like puke or something like that. Like a person got physically ill after an act of violence, because most people don't have it inherently in them to be violent. They're not comfortable with that level of violence. So I think in nature, going about battle, fighting it out, like that's what those animals were built to do. But I think as human beings, it would just be more of so of like, okay, we have this, we have all these individuals, we're trying to figure out this whole community thing. And somebody would just step up and they would say, you know, this is what we need to do. Or a collection of individuals would step up and say, I'm really good at architecture. I'm really good at like finance. I'm really good at, you know, this, that, or the other. And leaders would just start stepping up. And if people are smart and they'll follow those people that know better than them on those certain issues and they'll get things done. They'll work together in harmony, right? Like people say that's a utopian idea, but it happens literally every day in companies, right? Like, I mean, people step up all the time and they get promoted or whatever, but the good companies don't just promote somebody because they've been there the longest. They promote somebody because they're a natural leader and they just take charge and get things done and get people to follow them. Right. I think it's the same thing in emergent order. I think it's the same thing in just everyday life. If people would just step up and get things. And the thing is, like, if, if anarchy existed today, like nothing would like we would still have all the apartment complexes and houses and Walmarts and grocery store. We were actually we probably wouldn't have Walmart because, you know, competition. But uh, I know, you know, we would, we would actually have a free market. Um, but, you know, there would be more farmers markets. There'd be more mom, pa grocery stores, all that kinds of stuff. Right. So, like, not much would change physically. It's just how we operated day to day and who and in our manner of freedom association would dictate a lot more than it does now. So the point that we brought up earlier about the the fluid hierarchies, I think that's a perfect example of what you said about the, the finance guys and the architect, arch, architects and whatnot is that depending the on this. 
Yeah. And the lawyers, <laughs> depending on the situation, a different leader would have to step forward. So it wouldn't always be the same person necessarily being the leader, right? If you had to put up a barn or something, right? The people who know how to do construction would rise, would step up and be the leaders. And then if you had someone who needed to, um, you know, if you needed to plant a garden, right? The people that knew how to do garden, had to grow crops would step up and be the leader. So it wouldn't just be the same, the same person across the board all the time. That's one of the the differences that I think exists between the emergent order and the uh, imposed order is that the leaders could change uh, just depending on the situation. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it, it, even in like, we're talking about the difference between emergent order and opposed order. I think like, even in communities that had imposed order, it would stem from emergent order first. You know what I'm saying? Like it would be like somebody that steps up and becomes a leader and they, you know, they, you know, I don't want to say that they're mayor because I don't believe in like elected officials, you know, but like they step up and they're just kind of like the leader of this town. Everybody respects them. Maybe people come to them over financial disputes or contractual disputes and they all agree that this is the guy that they trust with the opinion or collection of individuals or whatever it may be, a group of individuals. And, and they trust those people to go there and get their professional opinion or whatever. Eventually, those people would become kind of like that imposed authority that would start an emergent authority, right? But yet at the same time, they wouldn't have any coercive authority over them. They would just be looked to as leaders of thought, leaders of ideas, of, of philosophy, of you know opinion, whatever it may be, or issues, right? Like, hey, what do you think about this, right? But they still wouldn't be able to force anybody to do anything, right? Because that's immoral. That is wrong. They wouldn't say, you have to pay me this. Uh, you, I will take this property from you because I'm the leader of this community, whatever it may be, because then all of a sudden volunteerism goes out the window, right? Like that force and coercion still doesn't exist. And so for me, it's almost like this kind of mixture of like this, this emergent authority uh, or order, excuse me, but doesn't lead to coercion. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. hopefully that makes sense. You know, I'm kind of like rolling around here in the dirt trying to figure things out. So. That's every podcast for us. So no, we, we totally understand where you are. Uh, so as you're describing the, the philosophy in this sort of model of emergent order, it, it seems to me that there's a, a sense that there would be a culture surrounding the idea of the individual, that there'd be, um, and I don't know if it, I, I use the term culture because I think culture is a binder that is extremely potent um, for good or ill. But like, is everyone? I guess everyone in these in these groups has to have some level of similarity in how they see the individual, right? Absolutely. Is that, is that a okay? So that, that's an accurate statement. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you have a volunteer society unless you respect the individual. You know okay. what I'm saying? Like, I don't. Like, right. For me, I, I am an individualist. Like, for all this talk of communities and everything, and I would like to kind of get into this more because I don't want it to seem like you know. From it, it all comes down to the individual. It can't go any farther than the individual, but it has to start there, right? So, mm, okay. it, it for me, individualism is the catalyst to everything we're talking about. Right? It's the like, linchpin. Yeah. Yeah. We can't, you can't have these voluntary communities, these voluntary associations, these voluntary interactions without respect to the individual. If a, if a group of people got together and they attacked one person, then we're just back to majority rules. That's what that looks like. So for me, it's, it has to come back to the individual. It has to be based on the individual, what is right for the individual and, and, and understanding and respecting individual rights like like not saying oh for the greater good we have to do this there's none of that it's for the individual good because what is good for the greater good quote unquote is the individual good 
because all the greater good is is a collection of individuals. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. for me, it has to come down to respect for the individual. Yeah, it sounds a lot like the invisible hand. If you just leave people alone to let them pursue their own interests, then uh, you're going to end up with the the greater good for everyone in the community. Well, it's, I think we use the example of free market, right? Like you look at the free market and we live in a state of corporatism now. You know, people call it crony capitalism. For me, there's no such term as crony capitalism. Like you either have capitalism or you have cronyism, right? Like that's just how it is. There's no mixture of the two. Um, so we, today we live in a state of corporatism heading towards socialism. Uh, what is good? So what's good for like just human progress in general? The free market. The free market promotes innovation. It promotes a uh, lower cost of, of, of quote unquote, essential good and services, right? Or whatever that means. Um, it, it promotes affordability for people, accessibility. And like I said, innovation, that's because people are free within the free market system to innovate, to try new things, to, to become an entrepreneur and not be restricted by the state. And in so doing, competition emerges. When one person does one thing, another person likes that idea and they want to improve on it and so on and so forth. And eventually what you get is a really, really good product at a really, really good price. That's what the free market does for people, right? When you when the state enters in, you have one person has an idea, you have one person that can improve on it, but the other person has a lobbyist uh, uh, contact. And all of a sudden, person B is no longer allowed to innovate because person A has got a contract with the government. You know what I'm saying? I think it goes down to the same thing with the individual. When it comes to the individual, what happens is it's good for that person because they're free to um, chase their own interests. And in most times, those own interests aren't hurting people. And if it is hurting people, then it violates non-aggression principle in the first place, right? And so for me, if you're if you're pursuing your own, like for me, my goals have nothing to do with hurting anybody. It only has to do with building myself and my family and my financial situation and my morality up and becoming a better person, growing. It's all about growth for me. It has nothing to do with other people. But for me, it's in, in order for me to grow, I have to help others around me. I want to help others around me. I want to be a good member of my community. I think it's an essential part of growth, right? I think that's how most people feel. I know there's a lot of selfish people out there. I know there's a lot of immoral people out there. I'm not I'm not a perfectionist. I don't think it's we're living in utopia by any means. Once again, look at the Bernie Bros. Um, but I uh, you know, I think all we have to do is see that most people when pursuing their own interests have no agenda in wanting to hurt other people, right? So Yeah. And just for the listeners, Paul and I, we've brought it up before, but what what Jamie was describing there is regulatory capture and that's where the uh, businesses get to a point where they can influence government to implement regulations to make it harder for uh, competitors to enter the market and compete against them. And that's one of the drawbacks of the minimum wage is a company like Walmart that can afford to pay $15 an hour. They may not be happy about it, but they'll do it knowing that it's going to be harder for the mom and pop stores to compete with them. Um, yep. So that's, that's an example of the cronyism that it limits the free market or keeps the free market from working the way it's supposed to. I'm not great with all the terminology. So I'm glad you guys know all the, the terms, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just go off on tangents and hope people like it. You know, that's my whole shtick. So. No, it was, it was a great description. It's just, I just wanted to bring that up because we've brought it up. We've mentioned regulatory capture on some past podcasts and I don't know if we've ever really explained it. So I thought that was a good opportunity to do that. Um, so Jamie, obviously given your interests, and the stuff that we talked about here, I imagine that you you run into people who have different opinions about you and will disagree with Never. you on, <laughs> on these topics <laughs> quite a bit. Um, so what, what techniques do you have to um, 
talk to people when they disagree with you? And how can you, uh, what have you found is a good way to communicate with them and to have better conversations with them on these topics? Yeah, well, I think first things first, and, and I use this in sales all the time, is meeting people at their level, right? Like people don't know what they don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like I know in this, like in this conversation, Paul, you've asked a lot of like really good questions, and probably because you never heard answers to them, right? Like, and you were just asking a guy that proclaims to be an anarchist. You know, uh, people don't know what they don't know, right? So meeting people where they are, and and for me, I ask a lot of questions with people. You know what I'm saying? Like if if you know, for let's take military interventionism, for instance, you know. Uh, I, I had actually a really good friend, a conversation with a really good friend of mine that's, um, you know, I don't want to say they're a neocon by any means, but kind of in that same, at least neocon when it comes to interventionism, you know what I'm saying? And we were just kind of having a conversation. I said, and I just said, you know, we were talking about terrorism and how we need to be over there to protect us from the terrorists, right? The terrorists. Terrorists. Um, and, uh, but I said, well, how, how would you feel if, if another nation came over here and just bombed the hell out of us, just invaded or just invaded our country, bombed the hell out of us. Every day we woke up, there were, there were dead kids in the streets. Do you feel like you'd be pretty pissed at that country? Yeah, well, yeah, obviously like I would want to pick up my gun and go to war. Bingo. Like we create our enemies. If you want to know who our enemy is going to be tomorrow, look who we're trying to help out today. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's what it comes down to. Right. And, that, and, and that I use that kind of example just because I think it's important just to meet people where they are and explain to them in terms that they will understand. Right. Hey, do you believe that you have the right or anybody else has the right to knock on your door and take any percentage of your property, your income in order for them offering you protection? Not, not, they're not offering protection. They're telling you that they will protect you, but in, in, in occurrence with them protecting you, they're going to take 30% of your earnings every year. How do you feel about that? Well, no, that's not right. That's more. Oh, well, that's what the government does every single year. They're telling you they're protecting you. They're providing you with essential services. They're, they're building your roads, your oh so precious roads, right? We can't forget about those, but they still take from you. But you're telling me in an individual circumstance that is completely immoral. So why is it any different for the government? You can do it in any scenario. You can do it with any form. If you, if you just take it to their level and put them in the right pair of shoes, they will see what's going on. They will see it. And even if they don't come to your side, they won't be able to deny it. They just, they'll just think it's some utopian idea. Well, we still need to be overseas because there's all these terrorists and, and, and they're just going to keep bombing us. Well, have we tried not being there? Have we tried just getting the hell out of there and leaving them the hell alone for once and letting them do what they do and stop nation building and stop promoting quote unquote democracy in the, around the world because it doesn't work here? Have we even thought about that? Have we even tried it? No, we haven't. So how can you tell me it won't work? You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not this like fiery with people. Only with you guys, right? But I, I think, I, I, yeah, yeah. No, you are. Come on, be honest. I, I could see it. I could see it in the eyes, man. Just like the crazy eyes, dude. Just like, so, just. I, I mean, I get a little, I get a little fired up with people. You know what I'm saying? Especially when my when my uh, buddies told me he wants to join the FBI. Woo! I had a I had oh a, man. Uh, I had a long conversation there, man. I went into a lot with him, dude. So. So, so what you're saying is you, you don't think that the terrorists hate us for our freedom. They don't hate us because of Mickey Mouse and McDonald's. You know what? I, I, I will submit this fact that maybe today they do, but that is only because in the beginning we gave the originators of Al Qaeda and ISIS the fuel for the fire that they needed to 
recruit and to brainwash and to propagand and to use a propaganda so that the current generation of terrorists probably do hate us for our quote unquote freedom, right? Because that's that's because that's what they've been told since they were six years old. Mm-hmm. But the whole process started with um, we were bombing the hell out of them, and they didn't understand why, and they wanted us out of there. Right. right. Like you look at the I read the book uh, Revolution by Ron Paul, the Libertarian Manifesto, and he talks about he talks about the term blowback, the CIA, the CIA of all organizations term that the or coin the term blowback, meaning that our interventionism has unintended consequences. Go figure. Right. And so they talked about how Ron Paul in his book talks about how Al Qaeda couldn't recruit to save their lives on the agenda of uh, we hate their freedom. They're infidels. They deserve to die because they're not a part of Islam. They couldn't recruit anybody. You know when recruiting spiked? When we went over there in the name of freedom and started killing their family members. Mm-hmm. That's when recruiting got a lot easier. You know what I'm saying? So, Right, right, yeah. History didn't begin on September 11th, 2001. Uh, there's a lot of history <laughs> no. before then. The first time American boots touched down in the Middle East was 1952, I believe. So, Yeah, yep. And the... The Brits were there before us. So freaking dirty Brits, dude. They get their hands in everything, bro. Leave your crumpets and tea and get the hell out of here, dude. No one um, even likes crumpets. Hey, hey, hey. So, no, I don't even know what a crumpet is. I don't know what a crumpet is, dude. It's, it's, like it's a beautiful, snack. lovely, fatty biscuit <laughs> that you're going to put next to that tea that's going to go in a very delicate and dainty teacup and it's just amazing i don't, I don't know why you guys are haters. I, i'm a volunteer i voluntarily drink tea. i can that's see all i'm gonna tell you sipping his tea with his biscuit uh, their term for biscuit is wrong though i'm from the <laughs> south man and a biscuit in the south is not the same as a biscuit is in britain they got well, it all messed up oh yeah there's big sure. old biscuits with that nice sausage gravy all oh, yeah, 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 yeah. bacon grease yeah. gravy dude. Right, oh dude yeah. you cannot touch that yeah well oh. that was one thing i missed from the south uh, yeah, it's yeah. It, the last year, year and a half has been pretty trying. So, what what is the biggest lesson you took away from the last year and a half? What what has made you become a better thinker? Um, question everything. Like, I mean, I I did that before. You know, I I, I was born a contrarian, dude. I was born anti authoritarian, man. Like, I like that's just how I've always thought. Like, I joined the military. And I realized within like a month, I was like, I am not made to be here. You know what I'm saying? I got my honorable discharge and I got out. You know what I'm saying? So finished my service duty and my service, right? I finished my contract and I got out. But just think for yourself, man, like and question everything. It's amazing to me the amount of people today that are so pissed off that people just question things. It used to be that you question things and that they, 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 you didn't get deemed a conspiracy theorist because you questioned things. You got deemed a conspiracy theorist because you had this crazy conspiracy, which nine times out of 10 was probably correct. Looking at you, CIA. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, but I, today you question a single thing, any government or any quote unquote scientific professional or a leader says, and you're automatically conspiracy theorist that wants everybody to die. Um, <laughs> it's, it's dangerous that it's dangerous to think that you can't think for yourself anymore. You have, like I learned, you got to question everything, even if it's even the tiny things, man, like you have to think for yourself and you have to have the ability to critically think. I think there's a war on critical thinking skills. I really, really do because how much easier is life when you just told yep, this is the truth. This is how you should live. Just go do it. I, I guess. Uh, I guess in in some people's eyes, it's a lot easier to live that way. For me, it's an absolute nightmare. So, right, I think uh, discomfort with authority, a distaste for authority, is is a, a, a characteristic that runs pretty strong in our in our community. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
to say the least, dude. I, right. <laughs> dude, I like, I, uh, man, I have some really fun conversations with a lot of relatives and friends of mine that do not think the same, you know? Right. And I remember one time, uh, I, uh, we were talking about like the course of vaccine and everything. Cause that's what everybody talks about these days. And, uh, I was talking about all like the adverse side effects that are, you know, kind of being shown out there now, like from, you know, facial paralysis to heart inflammation to epileptic shock, like all those things. Right. And uh, I was told, I quote, and I quote, I was told that you read too much. (laughs) That was a direct quote. You know what I'm saying? And I was just like baffled by that, that 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 today reading too much and researching is now just totally frowned upon right just trust just trust the experts man just trust the experts we'll just go back to normal so well within the last year we saw a new york times article um trying to redefine what critical thinking is where you basically it was listen to the new york times that's your critical thinking. <laughs> um, don't worry then, we've done yeah. all the critical thinking for you just exactly yeah. yeah and uh then cnn just a couple weeks ago ran a uh a story about how uh, do your own research or the, like the four words that are going <laughs> to bring down society or something like that. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think we're definitely moving in that direction where they want to limit the, uh, the amount of thinking that we do on our own. Um, so I kind of think I have an idea how you're going to answer this next question, but let's go, let's go forward anyway. So let, let's imagine you woke up in a brand new world yet tomorrow morning. What, what do you want that world to look like? Hillary Clinton's dead. No, I'm just joking. I, uh, <laughs> I think that's a given, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Uh, for me, in an in a ideal world or just like in the best case scenario? Oh, whatever. It's your world, man. It's just describe world, it. Dude. You don't, yeah. don't want to live in my world, dude. <laughs> um, if for me, my ideal world is where individuals are living just like that as individuals. I think families are the greatest unit the world has ever known and will ever know. Um, the individuals are living as they see fit, where they are not coerced, they're not forced. Um, they're living in, in harmony within their communities, focused on localism, focused on on um, knowing their neighbors, like shopping locally, um, all that good stuff, and, and just having the ability to pursue their own passions and dreams and what they see as fit for their own lives. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And everyone is in agreement that I mean, I don't have to agree with what you think. I don't have to, we don't have to see eye and eye. As a matter of fact, I might downright disagree with your entire assumption of what your life should look like, but that's the good news. It's not my life. It's your life. You can do what you want with, and I can do what I want with my life. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of what my ideal world would look like. And the uh, state wouldn't exist. Yeah. So, <laughs> Perfect. That's a given, right? We wouldn't have elections and all that BS, lobbyist, special interest, right? So, <laughs> and everyone drinks tea and crumpets, right? <laughs> yes. No one drinks tea and crumpets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a matcha kind of guy. I'm not sure if you guys uh, like, if you haven't had matcha, but I love matcha. So. It's been a while. It's been a hot, hot time. <sighs> that yeah. Japanese green tea, man. Gives me, gives me the a- antioxidants that I need to get through this crazy world. So right. <laughs> <laughs> my natural immunity is on fire, baby. Let's go. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, Paul, you got anything else? No, no. I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, hearing uh, the definitions and talking through these concepts. Again, it's all it's all greenfield to me and uh, really excited. Appreciate all the time today, Jamie. Really appreciate it. Tell everybody where they can find you. You can't. 
I don't you can't. Even. No, I uh, <laughs> bunker. <laughs> I'm freaking prepping, baby. Let's go. No, I uh, I went. Uh, first of all, I want to say I appreciate y'all. Hopefully, I made. Uh, sometimes I worry that I'm not able to articulate like really what I want to get out there. So hopefully, everything made sense to y'all. And, and I want to say anybody that is more interested in anarchism volunteerism, like you know, I'm gonna say what the New York Times has said not to say. Go and do your own research, man. Go read Lysander Spooner. Um, go read, you know, modern day thinkers like Michael Malice. Uh, my favorite is Murray Rothbard. Hans Hermann Hoppe is another good one, man. Like go and do your own research and really, you know, figure it out for yourself. And that's what I've done. And I've come to the conclusion that, um, you know, like I said, like it's it, any form of co any, any form of government is inherently, uh, a monopoly on aggression. Number one and two has no authority. Like their authority is a complete illusion. So, I think that if you do your own research, you'll come to the same conclusions. But as far as where you can find me, uh, my podcast is Liberty Uninterrupted. It's on all major podcast platforms, Apple, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. It's on YouTube as well. You can also find my Instagram where most of my activity is at, at Liberty Uninterrupted. Um, if you guys want to, you know, get some sick gear, you can go check out nokingscoalition.com. I'm also on uh, Odyssey on my Telegram channel, channel is Liberty Uninterrupted as well. Um, I'm also on Locals, which is on there. I, I kind of use that as my Twitter. So you guys can find me on a lot of different alternative media uh, sources. So I, like, once again, I appreciate y'all for having me on and come check me out, man. I appreciate y'all. Yeah, no problem. We'll throw all that contact information in the show notes so people can uh, look you up. All right. Anything else? Oh, all right. Well, that was a great conversation. <laughs> and uh we'll yeah. we'll we'll have to have you on again once Paul kind of absorbs everything here and and lets it filter. Oh, yeah, I'm sure dude. he'll have more questions. Let's have um, a follow-up conversation, man. I'm all about it, dude. I'll come better prepared. <laughs> oh no, no. Yeah, that was great. You did a good I mean, job. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, part of like what we like to do is we like to work through ideas right on the podcast. So that's par for the course. So that was a great job. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Appreciate y'all. Cheers.